coronation. Um, it was interesting. It's kind of funny. Obviously, there's a, a reasonable explanation for it, but if you have a look at this, it's, um, it's a shot. I think it's... When is it? I don't even know. I think it's maybe before it officially began or whatever, but um, there's the Ukrainian flag supposedly on the floor, right? The blue and, blue and red, blue and yellow. I don't think it was chosen for that reason, but maybe you never know. Just play it there. Not playing? Where do you go? Focusing on. Check that dude in the background. <laughs> play it again there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people in funny costumes at such events. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of weird in the background, you know. Um, we have to refresh to play it again. I think the sunlight is streaming through there, and that casts him in um, very dark. But mm. actually, he's just wearing robes like the other priests or something. The to be I think it's it's uh, Klaus Schwab. <laughs> He's, t- he's looking His for his eminence. Grease. He's looking for. Yeah, he he's behind this. Yeah, he's <coughs> he was controlling the whole thing. <laughs> uh, that's why. That's why you have the Ukrainian flag there. Schwab is known to partake of the very, very, very unusual costumes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is definitely a hooded robe with a giant staff. Mm. Yes. Um, also, uh, yeah. So just move, moving on to your your claim that. Um, <laughs> They, the Ukrainians tried to kill Putin. Um, well, check this is actually what happened from a Ukrainian perspective. <laughs> yeah, it all burned down. Yeah, that's what happened. In case you missed it, that's what actually happened. There, well, it, the, the Kremlin, all of the Kremlin was on fire. There was a large kind of predator-like drone was involved, and um, there was actually a Ukrainian military stamp outside of the walls of the Kremlin. Uh, on that day. At least that's how it's go down in history. Right. Uh, don't you love war propaganda? It makes it so, so easy to... Just so people know, that that is an officially released stamp by the Ukrainian Postal Service this week. Yeah. Despite this government's official absolute and categorical denial of any yeah. involvement. If you scroll down, Damien, just on that, and, and go to the video below. Oh, sorry. Is it not the video below? Um, oh, no. Sorry. Uh, maybe I... Go to... Uh, Go go up, go on up at the top again. Click on my uh, no, don't click on my name. I'll do it. I'll, I'll send it to you now. Hang on, I'll give it to you. Um, so there's that the way it's, the way it's been portrayed in uh, by the mail service, the Ukrainian mail service is what we just saw. What actually happened um, was this. Um, Boom. The fireworks. Uh, There's a second one that actually impacts the dome, though, isn't there? No. Another one goes down further down was maybe. The, but there's a fire then. That's, yeah, no, that's it's the remnants of that 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 just that catches fire. Ca- catches fire a little yeah. bit on the roof. Um, but if you yeah, go go up to it again, there, maybe. Uh, just on the foreground there, you can see the uh, the stands and stuff laid out for the May, which is tomorrow, uh, two days from now, May 9th, uh, victory day, victory day parade. Um, but what's most interesting is can can play again? Yeah, you, it seems like you need to. I don't know. Maybe you need to refresh. Just refresh. Um, yeah, we can never replay a Twitter video for some reason. 
Happens every time. Uh, just, yeah, just expand it there. See the guys walking up the roof? Yeah. There's two guys there. Boom. What are the odds to be two guys on the roof? Obviously, there's more to this, you know. The, but those those two dots you see on the on the left hand side on the roof, those are two guys. You, if you play it, you can see that they actually move. They're moving up those steps, mm. and they don't seem that alarmed actually. Whenever it happens, it's not like they kind of dive for cover and they just go oh. Um, so what? obviously, they, were, they, they knew that they they had eyes on a drone coming in or whatever, and maybe they were going up there to to. to I don't know what the hell they're going up there for. Uh, of course, it... Come on, Joe. Know, it provo- a conspiracy theory. Well, it provokes a lot of conspiracy theories that they, these, were, these were two guys who knew this was going to happen and it was well staged by the Kremlin and it was a false flag by the Kremlin and blah, 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 blah. Doesn't really make much sense uh, to me um, that it was a false flag because the primary reason, in this, in this context anyway, the primary reason for a false flag, i.e. for Russia having done this itself, would have been to... Uh, to Increase or encourage public public support for the conflict to pitch. Obviously, these kind of false flags. Their main goal is to present the victim, i.e., you yourself, who carried it out, as uh, as a victim, uh, and to you know provoke public anger against the cl- people you claimed did it. Ukraine, in this case, and as that, if in that Russia way, needs up, that. Yeah, but Russia doesn't need that, right? Obviously, it's it's not really so. So that number, that primary primary goal of false flags doesn't apply in this case. Uh, so otherwise, the only other possible one is then retaliation. Mm. Um, you cross the line. You cross the line. Now we're going. This gives us cause. Medvedev said it. A reason to, reason to respond. Quote: We should eliminate the entire Kiev government. Except. I don't hey, think Russia would need, at this point, given the public support in Russia for the conflict, I don't think they need any extra reason if they so cho- chose to uh, to try and take out Zelensky or the Ukrainian government, whatever. They wouldn't need to do this. To, you know what I mean? That's the kind of thing America does. You know, it doesn't seem that this, is, this isn't necessarily, at least in this case, isn't something that Russia needed to do. If it's a false flag, it's pretty limp, pretty lame. Yeah. And it makes you know, there's negatives, there's downsides, but there always are downsides of those kind of things because what you inherent in, in that the idea of a, a false flag of, of that nature is that you look weak. You know what the hell? You could end up getting public opinion swing turning against you, at least to some extent, saying, "You know what the hell is there? What's the hell the Russian government doing? Allowing drones to kind of fly right into the Kremlin? What about our vaunted air defense system, oh, yeah. especially over the capital, especially over the question. Kremlin? What the hell happened? Jesus Christ! Moscow is ringed with yeah. air defense systems. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, big question. It's all about the optics, basically. Whoever did this, and I think it was obviously somebody supporting Ukraine within Russia, somebody supportive, or actually Ukraine, actual Ukrainians or Ukrainian sympathizers, whatever, within Russia in Moscow, uh, did this and did it for the optics because why not? Um, you know, it, so in that sense, from that perspective, it's it looks weak. It, it it suggests a significant weakness. This is all they can do. You know what I mean? As much as you might think it was like a, a real coup to be able to try and to be able to actually get a drone and explode it over the I think that's the Senate building um, in, Krem, in the Kremlin. Um, it didn't. If that's all you're able to do, then it's pretty weak. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, that that's a, a real problem for the Russians and for the Russian uh, security services because that kind of stuff's going on all the time. They're arresting people on a regular basis, you know, on a, on a weekly basis. They're yeah. ar- arresting various different 
individuals and groups of people in Russia who are planning and they, you know, since, they shot videos. Since then, yeah, just for the this whole week, they've claimed two foil plots, right? "Quote unquote terrorist plots." Right. Ukrainian sympathizers slash Ukrainians. Right. So the fact that one of them would, one of them would be able to uh, would have successfully flown a drone over the Kremlin and detonated it. Well, two drones. Two drones. Let's say. Okay. Uh, again. You know. Why not? Why not blow up a shopping mall or something? Yeah, and you know what I mean. Cause carnage. Yeah, because they can't. They'd Maybe. be doing it if they could. Probably. I mean, right. this is at this point, and even before now, you're talking about a situation uh, where it's it's terrorism, right? Where 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 the Ukrainians definitely before now would have been would have thought about and planned and tried to put in place. A campaign of terrorism within Russia, where you b- blow up, you kill people, set set bombs in various different places. That's that's where they've they go to. That's where they've they've gone to. You know, to cause pressure on the regime. Yeah, to just or just to strike back. To yeah, exactly. Um, but it seems that they're not able to do that very well. They don't have the networks, the resources within Russia to be able to do that. You know, um, so definitely they they would be doing something uh, like that if they could, but they can't. But it seems they decided for a bit of a, you know, the optics of blow a drone up over the Kremlin. Yeah. And it's kind of fitting that the story as a media event was a flash in the pan matching the flash we saw. Mm-hmm. Because it was like headlines around the world for 24 hours and it's gone. <laughs> yeah. But those headlines were something. I mean, and I noticed that many of the broadsheets in the Anglosphere chose to, as an image, to go with their headline banners, banner headlines, the a still of the moment of the brightest point of flash. Mm-hmm. And it looked like a huge red explosion mm-hmm. on over the Kremlin. It looked, you know, it was shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you saw the video and you're like, oh, that's it. The other notable feature is that for, again, for one day, the entire Anglosphere was promoting false flag theory. Yes, again. That's the thing yeah. that struck us. Yeah. How the, when the fuck did this happen? We noted it last year, actually, in just at the outset of the war. Um, Boris Johnson and others well, were preempting... Oh, yes, the U.S. State Department um, began this. Yeah, we have an intelligence report that the Russians are planning to commit false flag attacks in Ukraine to blame on Ukrainian forces. Mm-hmm. Um, it petered out, but for a while there, it was like, wait, wait, false flags are really a thing? Oh, ah, when Russia does it. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting. So it's not a mental illness. Anymore. Anymore, right. No, because it's politically, politically useful. Well, just talking about where the Ukrainian, what, what the Russian intelligence services are, are having to deal with, I mean, we, anybody who's paying attention knows that, you know, the videos show them, that they're busting into people's apartments and, and arresting people actively planning or planning attacks but there's another one here um, that speaks to what I was just saying like I mean uh, terrorism and to the point of potential almost like suicide bombers you know uh, this just played there and you'll get an idea this is in in Russia uh, this, this week boom oh shit <laughs> so the guy detonates uh, some kind of explosive device uh, when as Russian Spetsnaz attempt to arrest him in, in Yetsk which well, Yetsk is just in um, it's not far from Rostov on Don there in the so- southern southern Russia basically right. part of Russia that goes down towards the Black Sea and what's it's the actually st- on the Sea of, sea of Azov um, what's the story with him uh, the well it, story 
he, he was uh, just again guy who'd been you know been uh, trailing him, watching his movements, seeing him, identified him as a, as a saboteur basically, and, and went to arrest Probably him. Probably a Russian, but a sympathizer with Ukraine. Who knows? I don't know the actual details right. of who he is. He could be Ukrainian, it could be not. But it's very obviously, you know yourself, ethnically and uh, it's historically, it's it's like is he Ukrainian? Is he Russian? Is he Russian Ukrainian? Is he Ukrainian Russian? Whatever. But uh, yeah, so he, you know, as they come to arrest him, he, you know, Allah Akbar. He did a suit. Is he dead? I think so. But it looks at the explosion. He's not. In, he's not in good shape anyway. You want to play the game? No. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine what it, that, you'd be like if you were in the car. <laughs> that's some serious commitment. I mean, shit. Yeah, but well, that's where it goes to, you know. Uh, especially in this day and age, you know. I think you have to. I don't know why you have to refresh every time. He was committed. So that's the thing. This is why it's a minefield for Russia, ideologically. This war. There's a lot and of and crazy. And the guys just kind of carry on. You know? The guys just carry on getting them out of the car. You know. Oh. Small yeah, he didn't. Well, he, he he jumped a bit and then went back. Mm. <laughs> um, maybe, does this have a connection with it? Because less than twenty, the next day, um, over Kiev, this happened. <clears throat> you probably again, peeps have probably seen this footage, but you have to remind you, like this all happened this week, but it's a flash in the pan in the news for a day, and then it's 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 just gone. But at the time, it. I was glued to this going, what the hell? Um, Ukraine shoots down own drone over central Kiev. It yeah. wasn't, of course, known that there was their own drone initially, but that was admitted by the Ukrainians themselves. Um, does, that, does that video play there? BBC player doesn't always work. Yeah. That's a moment of impact. But you can hear that chillers. Gunfire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe Public in from apartments buildings all over Kiev are trying to shoot this thing. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, it was a Turkish drone, the Barak. Yeah, Tarn. it was the kind of drone that the Ukrainians have been using, and indeed um, they admitted that. So the story from Kiev is we it's it's one of our own. Something went went wrong with it, and we had to shoot it down. And but then it started a fire in a mall or something. Um, <laughs> um, I wonder. That was the end of it. And it's so close to what happened in, in, over Moscow in time. My hunch, here's my, here's my uh, flash, you know, hot take conspiracy theory. Um, that was supposed to do something, and indeed it went out of control, as the uh, Kiev government said. Did they remote hijack the Russians and start flying it around close to capital um, institutions in Kiev, sending a, sending a kind of a reverse message, an immediate sharp message back to Kiev, mm-hmm. at which point they went, uh-oh, shoot it down. Possible. Uh, it's possible. Um, the other thing we should talk about, though, is that Zelensky was out of the country at the time. Mm-hmm. Of the Kremlin attack, yeah. Mm. He's not, I mean, he's rarely gone, right? He was in Finland where he decided to stay an extra day, then flew to The Hague, not for the reasons one would hope, but um, and then he apparently sought to fly to Germany, and there's some scandal about that because he was scheduled to arrive in Germany like today or tomorrow, mm-hmm. but he put in a request to come early, and it was supposed to be secret, and someone in the German government told the media about it, 
and then they were upset, so they canceled the trip. Something happened there, anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's all orchestrated. Like again, at this point, Ukraine is no longer Ukraine. You know, <clears throat> I mean, they've been using um, a kind of pro-Russian accounts have been using the f- f- referring to Ukraine as uh, country four hundred four. You know. Um, for quite a long time now, but and, and that's really what it is. You know what I mean? Um, because uh, I mean, it's been taken. I mean, it, nothing happens. Not, the Ukraine doesn't do anything um, uh, without Western say so. You know what I mean? This is a <coughs> this is a situation where it's um, uh, you can bet your ass that the Americans are taking have taken full control of this conflict and what. Uh, happens and the, and the progress of it uh, is dictated almost entirely by by Washington D.C. Because, like, I mean, everybody should know that this is an exis- this is not existential, but this is a war by America for American interests using Ukraine to fight Russia. So you don't leave any, you don't leave it to chance. You know what I mean? You go, yeah, Ukraine, just go ahead and uh, let us know how you're getting on, type thing. If you need any weapons, just let us know. We'll fire those off. But you just tell us how the uh, how the progress is going and and uh, any decisions you want to make about how you think the you know what should be targeted or what what operational moves you should make. You just go ahead and then uh, you know we we'll provide some feedback after the fact, but whatever. But just yeah, you go ahead. It's, it's, it's your conflict, you know. Obviously, that's not not what's happening, you know. Uh, quite the opposite. So, um, yeah, this yeah. is America's 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 conflict. America's its favorite conflict, as we talked about last week. Uh, that guy, what was his name? Um, begins with B. Don't know that uh, skullhead guy in the Senate, American senator, asking the general. Oh, Mark Kelly. Uh, uh, asking the general. Yeah, General Mark Kelly. Uh, uh, no, the, the, well, the, the, the senator, senator was an ex-general himself. The, no, the, now Senator the, Mark Kelly bald, and he was talking. No, to the other guy. The other guy. He's the one who. He's the one who made. Talk about the war games. They've been. He's gaming. the one who made the point that I'm that, that that I'm talking about, which is that we don't like to see a fair fight. You know. Ah, uh, Blumenthal. Blumenthal, yeah. Uh, so, America likes to have proxy wars because proxy wars, by definition, are wars that you know there's a there's a there's a level of. <clears throat> there's separation between, between you and the conflict, and therefore, even if it goes wrong, you can always say, oh, that's bad, you know, Ukraine lost. If you have to ultimately admit defeat, it's Ukraine who, who lost, not America who lost, you know. Um, and that's the way they assure they're kind of like, um, sure, they, they won't lose, America won't lose, you know. Mm. At least not officially, you know. At least on the Wikipedia page, it won't say America lost. It'll say Ukraine lost. Right. And Wikipedia's history, obviously, so... So Wednesday, Kremlin's attack. Thursday, Kiev, maybe something happened there with the drone. Thursday, this happened. Um, the attempted assassination of Zakhar Prilepin, a Russian novelist and former volunteer in the DPR militia until 2018. He actually volunteered again in Russia's National Guard uh, last year. Spent a stint in Donbass. Again, but he's, he's he's actually famous in Russia as being a novelist now, true true crime novelist, I think. Mm. Um, he is alive but critical. In this instance, um, my first thought was, oh well, he was driving back from the Donbass where he was reporting towards Moscow, and I, they must have planted the bomb before he left mm-hmm. and then timed it. No, actually, it turns out they've arrested a guy who pre-planted, say, the Russian FSB. 
um, an IED on the road and mm-hmm. when his car came by, set it off mm-hmm. and it flipped the car multiple times. Somehow his daughter had just gotten out of the car beforehand. Don't know how that makes sense, but she was with him. His driver was killed. He's in serious condition. He may have lost both legs. Like his, mm. he may not make it. Yeah, um, that's the kind of uh, attack you'd that's quite of, a, that you'd expect, and you'd, you you know that is a serious kind of attack. You know what I mean? Uh, and the kind of attacks traditionally that you know <clears throat> the the less powerful side, guerrilla side, the grill uh, that turns into a kind of guerrilla warfare in a certain sense, or, or non um, non conventional, low intensity conflict um, where you have those kind of bombings and like I said you know where you put bombs in you know, try and f- sabotage infrastructure uh, or, or even to the point if you go if it gets that bad you start blowing up trying to blow up shopping malls and killing large numbers of civilians and stuff you know that uh, but, coming, which huh? stands in contrast with a drone over the Pentagon or, or over the Kremlin I mean yeah. optics if any anything just optics yeah uh, another refinery was hit somewhere in Russia near Ukraine this week. Mm. Um, yesterday there was some big move on Crimea. I mean, it happens. It's almost daily now, attacks on Crimea. But last night the Russian military de- Ministry of Defense says some 22 drones were shot down. Mm. That wasn't all of them. That's like a lot of drones to send towards some site in, in Crimea. So that it's interesting. I remember, like in the build, like we're still like maybe six months ago, that was still only at the level of a threat. We're, we're coming for Ukraine. We're coming. It was Kiev saying we're coming to take all of Crimea, and we laughed at it. Like <laughs> you don't stand a mm. chance, even with Western support. Mm-hmm. Well, it it it's funny that it is actually happening, just in a way that they still can't take it, but they can cause a shitload of chaos. Yeah, refinery here. But Maybe just, we're not at malls yet, but they're sending just, drones all over. The place. Yeah, but drones are drones are are crap, like in that sense. You know what I mean? Uh, but they're not nothing, huh? They're, no, they're annoying and they're, they're annoying. And they're keep you on edge and keep. It's not you, a full scale ground invasion of Crimea, but they're going to annoy the shit out of Russia. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure you know. You can't expect anything less, but. Um, Unless you've got like 10,000 drones that you can launch all at once. But, I mean, drone technology is super easy, you know what I mean? At, at this point, it's it's very, I mean, there's, there's those military-grade drones that can fly for you know, hundreds or maybe even, depending on the drone, like thousands of kilometers, can fly very fast, you know, and um, can carry a heavy payload. And you put just put some explosives on it and fly it towards your destination with GPS coordinates, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, it's stuff that's kitchen sink stuff, you know what I mean? Almost. You know what I mean? You can yeah. buy you can buy a drone off off the shelf, spend you know five six hundred dollars or whatever, and buy a good quality drone, and you know, um, and anybody in theory could do do something similar. You know, and then that's that's not even talking about military grade uh, material. You know, so yeah, but I mean, the Russians obviously are wise to all of that. And there's nothing that the Ukrainians are going to be able to pull out of the pull out of the hat that the Russians aren't aren't expecting. You know, or haven't budgeted for. Yeah. In these, in, in the also in the category of more of the same from Ukraine, the Yukis have arrested Gonzalo Lira again. Yeah. Um, this time, it's you know, there's no doubting that, that that's what's happened. Last time he went missing, and people wondered no, what was quiet. up with him, and they then he came back and said, "Yeah," and they talked to me, and I kind of they let they let me go for now. But this time, it's like full video, dawn raid. 
hands up in the air, put in the car, and he signed a confession or something, or a confession to or some document to the charges um, put before him by the SBU. It's not like this isn't Ukraine, like you said, is not a a real country anymore. <laughs> Due process is long gone. Um, so he's not disappeared. At least this time they're showing. You'll be talking. He's with us. Yeah, here it is. Here um, the the video that's going around. Um. <laughs> Welcome to Ukraine. Where do you get pictures in this toilet? You know, and then it's oh, and it's literature, it's literature, it's offensive literature, banned books, of course, in Ukraine. Check out what's he been doing. What's oh, his browser saying? Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. been uploading videos. Uh, and of course, this is their production. I'm pretty sure it's their production. Yeah. Uh, so that's their shit game music, you know, to make them look hard, which yeah. they put to all their promo videos. Yeah. The absolute fags. But, um, and then he's taken down and booked and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he'll, he'll be awaiting trial. But I mean, the question is, what kind of, what kind of uh, laws are on the books in Ukraine? Or someone who was simply expressing, living in Ukraine and expressing an opinion that wasn't favourable to Ukraine it was a pro-Russian opinion. What kind of law can you be, you know, sent down for, uh, for any length of time? What kind, what kind of law is there on the books in Ukraine where that's a, an actual criminal punishable offence? Um, well, they, I think they have tried to make the case. There's another video that's released showing a clip from a recent talk video he made. Mm-hmm. And the specific clip translated into text underneath in Ukrainian is where he's recapping, as he describes the, the central nature of the regime in Kiev as fascist. And mm. he's made a case for it. He's not just throwing out. He's been trying to be more careful, I suppose, mm. since his last arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is what he says. Is that a crime? And apparently, that's the infringing section it's like it's, in ukraine it's different it's not just a youtube will say boom that section in your two-hour podcast is what's we're bringing the whole thing down in ukraine it's like that section in your statement gets you a dawn raid <laughs> yeah. um that is what they said uh his infringement is he described the regime in kiev as essentially fascistic and of course they That's just no proved no. his fucking point with an intelligence for a dawn raid so um I think he'll be okay because he's a U.S. citizen, not that he's going to get any protection. There's he himself or someone else suggested on his behalf that uh, maybe Scott Ritter said it probably has been taken out at the behest of the Americans because they would have left him alone. But nearly everything in Ukraine is controlled these days from Mm -hmm. across the Atlantic. That would be more likely, but still we we hope um, for his sake that his being an American citizen means... He'll be deported or something, and not just. Well, you know, if he's he's obviously trying to make make his money, make his mark on on social media, right, on uh, YouTube and uh, on Twitter and stuff. So, I mean, that kind of publicity is is, is good, you know, for your for your Twitter followers, you know, uh, if you're willing to go to if you survive, are you yeah. will, if you're willing to go to go to jail for for some uh, for some clicks and, and and some follows then uh, fair enough you know it's your choice you know but like he, I mean I the think, fact that he I think didn't, he has a daughter there in Kharkov yeah That's, but does he need to live with her how old is she young 
He's separated from. Well, in that case, then mother, I mean, he again. He also can't expect to, that he can't. This can't be a surprise to him right. or something that, that he wasn't expecting. That he wasn't expecting happening at some point. Like I mean, it's not a. You know, it's it, it's not all. A, it's not a. It's not all just shits for shits and giggles type thing. Yeah. There's a real war going on, and and you know people are being killed, obviously, and and are, are dying and fighting in, in this war, and you know. Um, so yeah, he he has your sympathy, but for God's sake, you know you can't exactly no be shouting about your rights no. in a place like right exactly Ukraine at this time for sure. Yeah. Um, what about that Prigozhin? Yevgeny Prigozhin. What the hell is he playing at? <laughs> I was disgusted when I saw that stunt. Um, I suppose it's easy just to be disgusted because he was showing dead Russian bodies, but um, there was also the ranting and raving at high command back in Moscow. Right, it's not the first time. I thought, well, sure. Yeah, it's not the first time, but it's been escalating, right, ever since he started doing that Mm -hmm. with his videos. There's a guy who knows about promotion on social media. Um, Well, I suppose I have to eat my words because I initially said he's crossed the line. That man, take him home, get him out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, because since then, the um, <laughs> two days later, uh, apparently he's getting everything he wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Sovorovkin, the formal head of command for the Ukrainian theater for the Russian military, is going to give him everything he wants. So clearly the guy has... Um, a role to play that's accepted mm-hmm. by the Kremlin, and he can talk smack about Gerasimov and Shoigu all he wants. Mm-hmm. And um, look at that angry face. Yeah, yeah. Me, angry Russian. Um, <laughs> Yevgeny Prigozhin, Wagner boss, promised ammunition after retreat threat. There was definitely some antics on his part because it's unclear. Like, he's saying. In one of his videos this week, he's got a bunch of his still alive Wagner fighters behind him saying, um, that's it, we're done. We're not getting what we want, so we're all pulling out of here on, on May 10th. Mm-hmm. And you can just do it without us. At the same time, it's like there's a quasi-official confirmation that Wagner forces are to be sent away and to be replaced by... Uh, Kadyrov's Czech militias who are coming back in in Bakhmut to replace them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, I, so this is why I was suggesting this is antics because it looked like that was going to happen anyway. Um, Wagner's getting everything he wants, but they're still being retreated or rested or something. Who knows? My point, I suppose, <laughs> is what we were talking about last night. It's like. It's, it's war propaganda, uh, or maybe even not even planned. It's just act- he genuinely spouted off and probably genuinely pissed people off in the high command. But there's a process underway anyway. Mm-hmm. It's the next phase. Bakhmut is taken. There's a shitload of Ukrainians behind there, um, lined up in part for this much touted counteroffensive yeah. and for the Zaporizhia and elsewhere. Um, Moscow also said this week there's a huge force lining up around Odessa. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Supposedly. Um, now, like Wagner is like, the thing about it is that how many, uh, you remember Blackwater? Yeah. What's Blackwater? 
XC now. It's a mercenary force for the United States military. And made its name in? Iraq. Right. And it um, and others amounted to S, an estimated number of... Uh, in the end, they were most of the U.S. force right. that was in Iraq. Right. And Hundreds of thousands. And in Afghanistan as well. So up to 200,000 of them. So... <laughs> You know, to, for that to happen in Iraq over like 10, 15 years and it to be just like, yeah, this is normal and CNN to report on it like it's normal. You know, because it's a war over there in the Middle East and nobody cares. It's not near our shores. We in the West can just like, you know, say, well, just keep up with it on CNN now and again, see what's going on or whatever. But it's no big deal and we don't have to get too worked up or emotional about it or whatever. Because it's just killing Iraqis, basically, in the Middle East. That's always been a, you know, you should just turn the whole place into a glass parking lot. You know what I mean? That, those are those, those damn... Damn towel heads, you know, they don't, uh, they've never been able to get along. And anyway, we need to go over there and civilize them. And it's all awesome, right? But suddenly, as soon as there's a war in Europe or close to Europe, and Russia's, inv- and America's not the one who started it, suddenly it's all, there's recriminations and it's being looked at under a spotlight, you know, understandably because it's much closer, but no less hypocritically, you know, in a certain sense. It's understandable, but it's also hypocritical, you know, um, because it's close to people, close to the Polish border, right? Close to Europe, close, close to... And, and it's Russia and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Wagner is a private military, com- private military company with about 50,000 soldiers. It was formed in about 2014. Not coincidentally, when after Euromaidan in Ukraine, that set the whole ball rolling. And um, they've been involved in Syria and various other places around the world. But it's a... It's a private military company like uh, BlackRock, like you said now, XE, and um, and there are many of them around the world, but, you know, obviously bigger countries have bigger private military companies, but ultimately they are part of the military structure and military command, and they're under the control of the of the military command, and Wagner is under the, under the control of the of the Russian military yeah, command. That people, um, and his antics have gotten people yeah. carried away with the idea that it's a rogue force, mm. that Yevgeny Prigozhin is the one commanding it. Do you think, I mean, okay, probably they didn't have many, but do you think, like, the the leaders and the of, of uh, Bla- uh, Black, Blackwater at the time in Iraq and Prince. Afghanistan, but people on the ground, the commanders on the ground of, of that quote-unquote private military company, which is, you know, very often made up of people who have just moved out of official military service, resigned their service and gone straight into a military company for the specific reason of getting more money in the private military, corporate, private military company, right? That's, that's an awful lot of people in Blackwater came straight out of the US military mm-hmm. the same, day before. Same as Wagner. Right. So these are people who are like just put on different clothes, basically. Yeah. Put on a different outfit and they're officially, you know, I mean, they're no longer officially employed by the Russian military, but in fact, you know, they more or less are. They're under the same command. If Do you think any of them in Iraq or Afghanistan, or any of the Blackwater uh, um, officers and stuff on the ground, had any complaints at any time during the 10 years, whatever it was, in Iraq and Afghanistan, 20 years in Afghanistan? Do you think they ever complained about conditions or about lack of weapons or lack of, uh, you know, support or lack of this, that, or Do you think that ever happened? Do you imagine that might have happened? That they might have had some complaints? Um, yeah, sure. Right, yeah. Undoubtedly. So, Huge right. logistical operation. Right. So it, you know, and it goes up, it goes up the normal line, or you don't hear about it. Or the, or, and again, the other thing that is interesting about this particular conflict is that even compared to Afghanistan and even compared to Afghanistan and Iraq, is that social media, 
even in now short period of time, like say so Iraq was officially 2010, so you're talking about 10, 12 years. In that 10 or 12 years, social media and social media interaction has exploded, you know, particularly in the Western world. There weren't many people in... Uh, were many people in the West, in, the, in Western countries who were that interested in what was going on in Iraq? There were quite a lot of videos, but there were few and far between. I'm talking here about technology and the, the ability for people in the conflict zone, the active military personnel in the conflict zone, and civilians in the conflict zone to have access to social media and access to high quality phones with high quality video to take video of stuff and upload it. You know what I mean? This is a much more interactive war now. It's it, the, even than. Well, for, for two reasons. One is technological advancements and, and the other is the proximity of the conflict to Europe, meaning that there's far more interest in the conflict compared to Iraq because they were just a bunch of ragheads and who cares? Not really interested in what's going on. And the Iraqis and stuff weren't necessarily running around with high-quality iPhones and, and taking video and uploading them to Telegram channels because, first of all, Telegram didn't exist then. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? So there's two factors there that make this... Much more, a much more social media interactive war with with a lot of people, you know, getting a front row seat on it. And in that context, what I'm saying is in that context, just to, to make my very long story short here, what I'm saying is that um, <clears throat> if this conflict was was American soldiers and American private military cor- com- um, corporations fighting in Europe against whoever, or even not even in Europe, elsewhere around the world, but particularly in Europe, or in America, God forbid, you can be sure that there'd probably be a lot of videos from the people like like uh, Prince, uh, what's his first name? Eric Prince. Eric Prince and others, whoever would be the, you know, the, the owners or the commanders of private military com- companies in that context. Lobbying on they'd, their behalf. They'd the be uploading line. to social media, That's they'd be uploading doing. to Facebook, they'd be doing exactly the same yeah. thing that uh, Prajognin is, is, is doing right now. So, the whole idea of like, oh my god, this is weird or this is crazy. It's not. I mean, just put Americans in the same position, they'd be doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. But there's a lot of new stuff happening there because this is late stage, late stage capitalism, uh, uh, proxy warfare in the digital age. It's bizarre. We've never been here before. No, a billionaire on the battlefront. Right. <laughs> we haven't been here before, so the stuff that's coming out, you can go, yeah, this is crazy. You don't know what you would do. It would be the same for anybody in that, in that situation. You know what Westerners forget whenever <clears throat> they talk about Wagner and they bitch about it and they point out it's false? Um, Prigozhin is the guy they said was Putin's chef who provided the seed funding for the IRA Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg that began the troll farms that began swaying the U.S. elections in 2016. He's the guy that they say is the center of the fucking right. spiders where yeah. of Russiagate. They've just either forgotten that or they just neglect to mention it whenever they bitch about Wagner. Except that was all bullshit. Yeah, and they know it. Hence, they just forget their own lies. Right. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, so Ukraine, same as, same as. We're all still poised on tenterhooks. For this counteroffensive, for the biggest, most awesomest ever offensive in all in the, hist- in the like, history of get offensives. On with it. But as you were saying last night, it's, there is no get on with it. I, we had to remind ourselves that on this show, like uh, all we a year ago when it began, when when the first sanctions, major anti-Russia sanctions, were hit, slapped on Russia. Even that was optics. But and Putin must have known this in his response to them because he gave it. A talk of some kind, maybe it was a formal speech, 
and he said to people, um, yeah, so irrespective of what happens, the counter sanctions we've applied to Europe and the United States are to remain in place. I've signed that this will be the case. They are to remain in place all the way through to at least December of 2023. He's saying that in February last year. They know how long. They have gamed, like the the guy we saw last week, in the Pentagon guy, said, we've gamed this out. Well, the Russians have gamed this out too. They knew this was going to take several years. You know? Yep. Um, so everyone can just, you know, stop gripping the armchairs and remove the tenterhooks. Just, <laughs> it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. And, oh. the, and their actions, if you pay attention, their actions do speak to that. Um, uh, obviously, it, it's, it seems short-termist and a bit of a uh, double-barrel shot in both feet for NATO countries to just drain their stocks of ammo and stuff like that. But that was just the first part because now the next part is they are apparently going to reindustrialize at least partly. The European Union announced this week it's diverting major funding for what's usually its highway motorway building program in Europe to fund the Ukraine war. Awesome. Um, uh, backing up those actions, here's Borrell again. I, there's nothing new here, but it's he's restating it, so let's hear him say it. Um, that's some conference about how awesome the European Union is. This is the top diplomat, Josep Borrell. We have no choice but to defend Ukraine or it will fall to Russia. He doesn't explain why that's important, but still. He's restating the mantra. He wants peace, yes. But at the time being, unhappily, Putin is continuing the war. And Ukraine has to defend. And if we don't support Ukraine, Ukraine will fall in a matter of days. So, yes, I would prefer to spend this money increasing the, the well-being of the people, hospitals, schools, the cities, as the mayor is asking for. But... Uh, we don't have the choice. You don't have the choice. Of course you have a choice. Why not? Why don't you have a choice? Ukraine will fall and, and Europe will what? fall under Russia's sway uh, over a number of years, which is what America has, has been fighting against for quite a long time. So, um, and that's bad because we like it the way it is right now. It's just a personal preference. It's not end of the world stuff but it's a personal preference we have no we have well he's Spanish we have no choice he's convinced of that himself yeah but uh, what he doesn't and, and they all are according to mantra right but Ukraine's going to fall anyway at least part of Ukraine is going to fall you know what I mean part of Ukraine is going to be incorporated into a, a big part of Ukraine is going to be incorporated into Russia Another, the, another well, the rest is going to be Moscow friendly. Another, well, another chunk in the west might become part of Poland, ah, and, and, and then there'll be a center piece uh, center around Kievistan, which will be kind of non-aligned. Kievistan, and then so so they're they're working. They just don't want to give everything to Russia. They don't Russia, want Russia to get everything its own way, and they want to have it turn into a kind of a feel, uh, a stalemate kind of situation. You know what I mean? That's North the best South thing for the DMZ, right? Because. You know, if Russia, <clears throat> it's it's mostly about optics here. I mean, they're all, it's all about, we can't be seen to lose because public opinion and the optics of the situation are extremely important. They have a real world impact. 
if Russia wins... Because then they the need whole... a big optics <clears throat> issue out of it right. at the beginning. Yeah. But they don't care. They've got to do something like They're bored. You know? They're bored. Yeah. Absolutely. These people are bored and they don't mind a good war now and again, you know? In fact, there's many potential benefits from a good war. That's how cynical you have to be about the whole situation to actually get a proper read on it because otherwise none of it makes any sense. If you're not super cynical, and I'm using the word cynical, but you could just as easily say realistic and practical about it. You know, leave aside your ideals and, and all the stuff that politicians even try and force on you and when they talk about it, about a, a war, you know, war against aggression and we have to stand up for liberal, uh, Western liberal democratic values, blah, blah, blah. That's all just talk. I mean, practically these people are just doing it because there's, you know, well, ultimately it's in their own self-interest and their own, their own personal positions of power and influence and their own and, and wealth. And that's all it is. And they have, but they have to clothe that in something a bit more you know, a bit more uh, palatable to the average person because we just talk about it in terms of your own personal positions of power and wealth. Nobody's not going to get a lot of support for it, you know. So, and they, of course they bullshit themselves about that too, you know what I mean? People just are full of narratives, you know. They're narrative-making machines. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh that's what's going on there, and yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Much, much noise is going to happen. There's supposedly, what is it, day after tomorrow, whatever, on the eve of victory, the victory day celebrations in Moscow. That's when Ukraine's going to launch its biggest, awesome, most awesomest ever offensive in the history of offensives uh, in the world. It's going to be the the offensive to beat all offensives, and it's going to sweep sweep through in uh, two days. You, t- you remember Russia was going to take Kiev that nobody actually said, but Russia was going to take Kiev in three days. Well, they're going to take Crimea in three days. The Ukrainians are going to take Crimea in three days, according to the Crimean. Crimea are the Ukrainians. Um, so yeah, it's it's more more nonsense, you know. That it's, official, it's, <clears throat> huh? Official, <laughs> uh, official according Who said to that? the NAFO trolls. Oh damn! Uh, and and all Optics the narratives, yeah, and all the. <sighs> all the diehard Ukrainian supporters on, on, on Twitter are saying that that's going to happen, you know. Just watch, just wait, Neil, just wait. Two weeks to flatten the Russian army. Um, but yeah, like, in case, in case people need to be reminded, this war is about a, a war of attrition, right? Like any war. Uh, it's not about how much territory you've taken, how much fa- how fast you take territory. It doesn't matter if you advance and then retreat, whatever. The bottom line is it's two groups of men with guns, and there technically are a limited amount of, you know, there are, you know, in real in, in a very real way, there's a limited number of actual able-bodied males who can carry a gun or can man a, you know, a rocket launcher or, or, or an artillery piece. And those two groups of men stand off against, you know, go to war against each other, basically, start fighting each other, and they start firing at each other. And certain numbers are killed on both sides. The, the side that loses the least. most or all of its men loses. Whenever they're gone, that's it. The war's over. The other side won. Why? Because you have no more men to fight the war anymore. And it, this is going to play out all the Until way. that happens. Yeah. And does it ever strike you like Putin seems very calm throughout all this? Yeah. Um, because he knows that this is going to play out. Like I suggested, he knew the sanctions would have to remain in place all the way through this year because 18 months ago because there was no, this was going to play out more or less as it's happening. And they wouldn't be, you know, complete oh, profits or anything. But 
again, another, we have the Ukrainian guy, Arestovich. Do you remember that clip from 2019 in which mm-hmm. he's asked by a journalist of, of what happens should the war kick off? And mm-hmm. he described precisely mm-hmm. how the Russians will come in, where they will come in, how many numbers they would have, mm-hmm. and the time frame in which they would do it. Mm-hmm. So it's apparently common knowledge in these circles that once a certain <clears throat> threshold is reached, that's it. The whole thing has to play out yeah, of course. until one side has just not In the same way, whenever two people sit down and play a game of chess, you know more or less what's going to happen, right? You know that one of you are going to one's going to win, one's going to checkmate, and the other one's going to lose, right? Yeah. But before that happens, you know the limitations of the moves that can be played. There's not going to—I mean, you know that neither of you are going. You've, both of you agreed to sit down to play a game of chess, and you're both invested in, in playing the game of chess. You know that neither of you will introduce a new rule where I get to grab all your pieces and put them on my side of the board. You know that that, that you know. Practice from a, in a war situation that can't happen, obviously. But it's it's an example of how there are rules of the game that are, that you're constrained by. Not you'd like to change the rules if you could, but you can't. It's like you physically can't break any of the rules in a game of chess. You have to follow the the the, 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 the actual plays, and that allows for a, a level of calm, a relaxed attitude toward from, toward it from both sides because you know you're constrained by the rules of the game. I mean, it's 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 limited, and the analogy only goes so far because there are certain things you can do to kind of like, but those are taken into consideration as well. The kind of sneaky moves, or you know, kicking your leg under the table or something, or trying to distract you while you're making a move, that kind of thing. You know, they're all technically allowed. You know, they're sneaky and stuff, but ultimately the rules of the game are fixed. You can try to as psych. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But, um, but the rules of the game are fixed and until you go, okay, well, you know, we're, we know where this is going to go. And if you're smart enough, you've looked at it and you, you realise that uh, from the Russian perspective, you, you see, listen, we know they have, they know, Russia knows America had to do this, was going to do this, and, and this is the, the track they're on and you, there's no turning them. Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's budget for that and let's have our own plan to where we want to go and let's see, let's see how it plays out. There'll be a few twists and turns along the way, but um, from the Russian perspective, which includes obviously the Chinese perspective and a lot of the, the global south, um, the world is changing towards naturally, on, via natural forces, natural momentum of development of technology, development of economies. Uh, the world is turning towards, was always going to turn towards a, a, a multipolar world. America was no longer going to be able to be top dog and dictate terms as it has done for the past hundred years. And America recognizes that as well, doesn't like it, and is going to do whatever it can to make sure that the kind of multipolar world that we tr- we all transition into is one where America is, you know, in a, as best a position as it can be, and its its rivals are in uh, a, as bad a position as as America can 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 make it. Because um, multipolar world, <laughs> America accepts a multipolar world, except some are more multipolar than others. It accepts an equal world where some are more equal than others. I some mean, that's polls, how they see it. Some polls are less equal. Some yeah. polls are less equal, yeah. But that it would be objectively the case. Of that, course. With population right. size, right. country size, of economy course. size. Of course. Allow that to happen. Stop right. trying to force it <laughs> the way you think it should be, you know? Well, but no, you have to do something to, to get your own, right? You can't just, if you just sit back and go, yeah, multipolar world, whatever, you guys decide for me how much I should get in this multipolar world. You decide for me, America's going to say, yeah, Russia, China, you decide, you know, what position I should take at this multipolar table. You know, no, America's going to be like, listen, I'm, I'm in the game here and I'm, I'm pushing back and I'm getting, I'm getting what I can out of this, you know. 
and that means pushing back against you, you guys because I don't trust you guys that in your, in your purported multipolar world that you're not going to leave me with a load of scraps. So there's mutual distrust all around the place, you know. Um, but the most distrustful one in all of this is America and always has been, which is natural coming from the position that they come from, which is being top dog for so long and enforcing its will in the way that it has enforced its will through blackmail and manipulation and threats and all that kind of stuff in other countries. It believes that in any, in any world order, anybody who is above America will treat it badly the way it treated other countries badly. Yeah. And do they really believe that stuff? Who? The Americans. He, I mean, the key Americans, the real, the real power brokers. Look at this article here from Axios, published yesterday. The U.S. is in talks with Gulf states. Scoop, i.e. someone expressly high up told this to Axios. The United States and Saudi Arabia and others, I think the UAE, to discuss railway project connecting Middle East, mm. uh, interconnectivity within the Middle East, and then on to India. Mm. You were saying something to me last night that what's going to happen here is these objective processes will continue, and the U.S. will be dragged kicking and screaming by them into conformity to some extent with the multipolarity. And mm. then I saw this article and I thought, that's it. That's probably only intended as a SOP, as a kind of a dangling a trinket to the Gulf state um, sheiks. But at the same time, SOPs will only work for someone. They will have to enact and follow through on actual, with actual, show me the money, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so the new standards are set by the other key players and America will end up adapting, adapting slash adopting those standards Unwillingly or unconsciously, bit by bit, um, yeah. Even speaks for, to your point that it, this may take time, but even for the Xi most, and Putin are confident that yeah. they can be brought around. Because facts in the ground, uh, Trump, Trump ideology or rhetoric or you know lofty words about freedom and democracy and American, you know American exceptionalism. Be, American exceptionalism being the police, world's policeman and stuff. You know facts in the ground, Trump that and. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it, there are big changes happening and it's, it seems to be part of a natural order. And you'd, you'd, it's kind of a good thing in a certain sense, you know, that the world finally may come together and uh, recognize their mutual dependencies. Their mutual dependencies and mutual interests rather than being at each other's throats for so long. You know, and the, 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 especially in the Middle East and in that area, area of, of East Asia, um, a lot of those divisions among countries, I'm talking about Saudis and, the, you know, the Iranians and the, the Israelis and the Palestinians and the Syrians and the Iraqis and all the rest and the Pakistanians and the, Pakistanis and the Indians and all that kind of stuff. They're all a legacy of a Cold War uh, and before it, British Imperial, uh, you know, they're the, the, the a legacy of the Great Game Era. You're with of, us of or you're with the commies. Right. And, and a non-industrialized, largely non-industrialized, non-technological state of global development as the thing that changes it all here is is, is everybody developed. being lift up, lifted up essentially into a techno, techno age and suddenly it's no longer necessary to, it's no to, longer to necessary. fight each other yeah, it's no longer tooth and claw. Yeah, to fight each other and to be forced Over to choose resources. between one system right. or the other. Because the US, at the Cold War, the US was saying, 
capitalism is the way it'll develop. Come right. follow me. Come, come, come. And then the Soviets were over here saying, no, no, no. Total, you need socialism. Socialism lifts you from poverty, you know? And the either or, it's like, well, I, I'm a I'm third world. Which one will I follow? Right. They tended to lean with the, the Soviets, of course, and the Chinese. Um, but not always. Uh, yeah. So like you said, that's, that's now a moot point. Because look, look how China got rich. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, yeah. went full, full capitalist, yeah. you know? And they keep saying, yeah, we did it with, com- with communist principles and socialist science and stuff. Come on. Mm-hmm. Come on. You, you got rich quick, as quick as you could. Yeah. Um, it's capitalism. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like, the uh, Donald Rumsfeld back in 2003 or so, 2000, about 2003, was famous, at least in my mind, for uh, having called Europe, denigratingly called Europe, uh, old Europe, because of that it was in the context of European, a lot of European countries, particularly France, being, uh, speaking out against... And the Germany. U- and Germany, in particular, speaking out against the US invasion of Iraq and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and Rumsfeld at the time, well, he was an old guy himself, was talking about... because they wouldn't give well, he was the pissed. UN approval. I know, he was pissed about that, but what I'm, talk- I'm talking here about his, his reference to Europe being old Europe, mm. and being caught in old world kind of thinking, like, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th century thinking, and this was the new American century, and we have this glorious new... Uh, way, uh, idea about how we're going to shape the world and how we're going to restructure, uh, you know, um, countries and regions in the world in our image, basically. And the Europeans are just, they're too anachronistic. They're like, they're, they're stuck in, they're stuck in, 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 you know, 18th century European warfare and, and, and just a vision of the world that doesn't fit anymore. And we have this glorious new vision of the world, but actually the tables have been turned on, uh, on, on America now because now Russia and China have this glorious new vision that America is having trouble uh, getting on board with, you know. Um, so it's old America at this point, you know. Yeah. Old America just simply doesn't understand. Who's the throwback now? Huh? Exactly, yeah. Now, I think what Rumsfeld was referring, but not even going back that far, he was referring to the failure of the UN resolution to get France, especially with their vote, uh, De Villepin famously mm-hmm. voted abstained or no to a UN resolution for an invasion of Iraq. And he's like, that's old Europe. Meaning, it's you're stuck in the 20th century paradigm where the Council of Five and the Security Council mm-hmm. of the United Nations must give a unanimous voice in order to sanction an invasion. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's... That's not all, how it works That's anymore. not how the... It's like the Karov, mm-hmm. supposedly it's Karov. That's not how the world works anymore. We're an empire, and when we decide... Shit happens. We create, we create reality. What then happened? And now it's all coming back to bite them on the ass in a big way. Um, it, it's going to be rocky for the United States one way or the other. And I know you will emphasize that we shouldn't single them out because if it's going to be rocky for the dollar, it's going to be rocky for the rest of us. Um, this has been growing now for several weeks. It's First it was one bank, then a second bank, then two more, then three more. And now, like last week, there's like 10 regional banks in the U.S. that need bailing out urgently. Um, headline RTs, trading in U.S. banks halted as financial panic spreads. Um, more regional lenders seen, have seen their shares plummet, prompting regulators to intervene. Um, PacWest Bank Corps was last week. Um, another one in Arizona, Western Alliance. Um, let's counterbalance that though. That sounds panicky and oh my God, it must be nerve nerve wracking over there in financial wizardry land. Now you go to this and it's like, 
these guys don't look phased at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just carry on as usual. When Zelensky finally got back to Kiev last week, um, his first order of business was to um, receive three representatives, not the CEO, mind you, three reps. More important. Three, three, three lawyers. More important than the CEO. Yeah. Three lawyers of BlackRock. Look at this behavior. Mr. President, uh, nice to meet you. Great honor and pleasure to meet you. Honor. Yo, we're welcome. Very good to be Thank here. You. Uh, hello, Charles. How are you? Awesome. Very good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for having us. For us, privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Hall. Thank nice you so much for having us. Oh, you are also very good. This is the potential signal, posilanya. He's like, uh, welcome, 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 guys. Welcome uh, yes. to my country. Uh, I mean, to your country. Yeah. Welcome, guys. Uh, Ukraine is open for business. Yes. Uh, everything for sale. Everything must go. Infrastructure, ports, energy companies. Land, you need grain. Land. Lots of grain. Poland reject grain. We give you grain. We sell everything. Everything. We need the money. Uh, uh, you need slaves. We sell slaves. No problem. Underage girls, yeah. Oh, don't don't talk about that. That's not that's not supposed to about that. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's kind of jarring, isn't it? You know, smiles for the camera, la la la, and then yet the headlines are like, "Holy shit, what's going on here? Is this going to be a bank run? Uh, is Wall Street going <laughs> to going through another two thousand and eight? The two of them sit together, and life just carries on. Maybe the panic's unmerited because they're so damn confident they can just funny money their way out of it, move some numbers around. You know? Yeah. <sighs> Here's something that, um, again, if we're going to try and take a, back, a step way back and try to place things in as broad a context as possible. This is a clip from the Adam Curtis documentary, all watched over by machines of loving grace. I know, Curtis, he has some weird ass. The Club of Rome then held a thing. press conference. Before you play it, um, uh, okay, it'll, it'll be explained. He's showing the Club of Rome meeting, I think in the early 70s, promoting a limits to growth report. In Italy. Forecasting total collapse of global society by the early or mid 21st century. Remember, this is 1971 or two. Um, let's play it. A computer had predicted that the world was heading for a disaster. They asked well, a, a very large number of computer runs, making various <laughs> <He's right>. assumptions, <laughs> ad- adopting various maxima and minima. There is, in fact, a general forecast of a breakdown of world society in the first decades of the next century. We regard the, the oh, MIT goodness. report as an extraordinarily important initial pioneering effort. It's opening up a great new field of research, research in the world as a system. The Club of Rome published a book called The Limits to Growth, which laid out Forrester's world model and its frightening conclusions. It was a bestseller, and it transformed the debate about the environment. Wow, what a round. Because Forrester's model offered a way of conceptualizing the problem that seemed to be scientific and therefore neutral. Seemed to be scientific. His vision of the world as one interconnected system seemed to transcend politics and the petty interests of nations. Then, in Stockholm in 1972, the United Nations held a conference for the first time ever 
on the world environmental crisis. And the international bureaucrats who ran it turned to this idea of the world as a system to provide the conceptual framework. The world needed to be managed in a new, non-political way to avoid the threat of global collapse. Now, this is the beginning of a debate. Nobody's decided precisely what the limits are. One can question whether it's 2010 where we all collapse or 2050 when we all collapse. All collapse. But what is absolutely certain is you cannot absolutely run certain. a planetary society on the total irresponsible sovereignty of 120 different governments. It simply can't be done. Lovely. Of course, they went on to create 60 more governments by splitting up some states they didn't like into more manageable units, which completely defied the very point she was making. Of course... When will we all collapse? Those new 60 states are all totally controlled by the West, but anyway... Get, isn't it bizarre, though? Like, Club of Rome was created by... 50 uh, years ago. That guy who's at the beginning... Uh, Alexa- talking about now. Alexander King was a British chemist. And he was a pioneer of sustainable development, you know? Well, before that, uh, in between, he became governor of the Bank of England. Yeah. Um, but he's dead now. He died in 2007. So uh, what was it all for, Alexander? Anyway. Uh, oh, come on. They're not far off. 2010 to 2050. What? Major. Collapse. I'm not saying. When will we all collapse? I'm not maybe? saying it's collapsing. I'm saying that 50 years later, the next generation or two of policy wonks and think tankers carried on with the idea. Carried on with yeah. the, with a it's a, a, like a scientific objective forecast. My God, we just made an amazing discovery. The whole world's a system and it's going to collapse in this time period. Mm. And the then, computer said so. <laughs> I asked the computer, computer, what will happen in 50 years? It will all collapse. <laughs> Good God, did you hear that, man? Computer said the world's going to collapse. What is this? Making Is this like self-fulfilling prophecy? Are they willing this to happen or is obje- objective basis to what they're saying? Overpo- overpopulation. Too many people, huh? Probably. That is, that is the core of what they say, what they were saying at the time. And climate change. Although changing they, changing they climate. Changed, they changed. Natural cycles down. converging. Natural cycles, natural environmental and weather and climate cycles um, converging with a lot of people on the planet, you know, could presage uh, uh, difficult times where the way the world operates and the way the world is, is run the way most importantly the way people are fed how people are fed and the resources f- from which uh, people are fed will not be are not sustainable are not safe and secure uh, is, is that the case are there too many people that's why things are prices are going up it could well be but only in the context of the way that we actually run the world uh, the way people eat and, 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 and the way that the uh, the way um, food is distributed around the world and um, price gouging. Yeah, exactly. Middlemen, yes. especially in the West, yes. controlling shipping and shipping yes. insurance yes. and all that. Here's so my a objection. Of, there's a lot of truth to it, all he, that stuff, but here's where it's not easily sorted out. Here's where it's exposed. Russia and China are not behaving as if this is a fact. Russia's agricultural output in fertilizers and energy, but that's not agriculture, but it, it is. It, fertilizers go into it in a big way. 
Um, its food production is at record, record beyond Soviet levels of food, yeah. food production. And, yeah. It, 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 and it grows and grows and grows. I, I don't see the signs of the collapse. No, not yet. From, from that country and the other largest country, which obviously is probably more of a consumer than an exporter of food, China, they're not behaving as if it's all about to go tits up. No, or that we're on the verge of that. No, I don't think they can. They, I don't think they can know that 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 that's going to happen or when it's going to happen. But, but Westerners, since the Club of Rome and their current progeny, WEF and all, they all act like Prince Charles. We have catastrophe. It's we like two years ago. We have seven days left. Oh mm-hmm. my God! Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Greta repeats the same mantra. Blah this, blah blah. This gets into like deep conspiracy theories that I don't think we want to get into. Neil. Ah, Jesus. But, but where that idea comes from. I don't think we can talk about that. I'm sorry. Are you censoring me? Yes. Just so is YouTube. You're not allowed. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's certain things. There's a new algorithm that says you can't say that. Uh, so basically, I'm sorry, but that's... that. Yeah, I mean, you have to wait and see. Uh, but things aren't looking good, and they're okay. The, things the, uh, in, the, in, in a way that can't be predicted right now, and no one can know. That's why Russia and China aren't thinking along those lines. But you know, there's a possibility. Not saying sure, but there's a possibility uh, that due to large-scale macro-level dynamics, that you know are, are far beyond any any human's ability to control much less understand, uh, or to understand, much less control, uh, that they may come into play and in a relatively short period of time it'll all go tits up, yes. And um, and nobody can be accused or blamed for not foreseeing that. And why some people 30 or 40 years ago were talking about it, that's what I'm saying, we can't get into that. So computer, algorithm computer says, in 1971 may have been actually bloody correct. It wasn't a computer. Anyway, go ahead. Ooh. Uh, meanwhile, and this kind of ties into it, did you see that gay fella, um, the Irish Prime Minister, what's his name again? I can't, I can't have always Leo, Leo the Leak. Leo Varadkar, Varadkar. Leo oh, Varadkar. Leo the Leak, Varadkar. From the, uh, tri- from the so, clan Varadkar. So yeah. Ireland was, Ireland yeah. recently tabled and I think are going to pass some fairly strict I think it's passed. hate speech laws where basically any information on your computer that could be construed as as you intending to use it in a way that could, could hurt or harm or offend someone, you can be prosecuted for it. So basically run-of-the-mill bullshit totalitarian kind of like laws that people in so-called democracies just pass just for because, you know... Uh, Equality and non-discrimination, whatever. So the guy, uh, a guy from Gript, which is an Irish media outlet, asks him about it because what they did alternative was alternative source. Yeah, yeah, they they basically <laughs> the Irish government before passing this law did a poll uh, did a poll to see whether people supported that kind of hate speech law, and the poll said no, uh, or rather the people majority seventy percent or something said no, nah, we don't like that. So then the guy asked him, so why did you go ahead and do it anyway? Taoiseach, uh, your government conducted a public consultation regarding hate speech laws where citizens were asked to give their thoughts on the issue. And out of the thousands of responses from private individuals, over 70% were not supportive of such laws. And yet you're proceeding with them anyway. So my question is, why did your government bother to do a public consultation if you were just going to ignore the results? Well, we do public consultations because we think they're, they're good practice. Uh, it's a way to... Um, 
find out what people's thoughts are on, on issues um, and it's also you know, a way to flesh out and highlight some of the issues that we may not have considered. Um, but we're also you know, wise to the fact that uh, the vast majority of people don't make submissions to public consultations. We have to bear that in mind. It's only a small portion of the population that participate in these things, so it's not necessarily reflective of public opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also we're wise to the fact that very often uh, submissions are organised and campaign groups will organise responses, so uh, we're clear with that too. But, but why, hold, why hold the consultation if the, the end result is just going to be disregarded on the basis that it's not representative of public opinion? What's the point of it then? Well, well the point is that we're a democracy and in Ireland we have elections and decisions are made by the government and the elected parliament. They're not made on foot of public consultations or opinion polls. That's not what they're about. Um, they're about testing the temperature. So is, so is it just for show then? No. <laughs> no, not for sure. But more or less what you just said over the past minute uh, yeah, suggests that it has been show for sure. No, but it's not. Yeah, but that's more or less what you said. I'm going to end the interview here. Uh, <laughs> what an idiot. Like, um, but basically what he's saying is that, look, we'll do the polls just for lols or the optics, make it look good or whatever. Well, no, uh-huh. I'm hoping that we get the right response. Hope that we get the right response. If we don't, fuck it, we don't care anyway. We're going to go ahead and, and do. And, and the argument is that, well, listen, we don't make government policy based on polls. We make it based on uh, elections, right? So people have voted me, and I like this law. People have voted for me, and I like this law, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, impose this law, because that represents the will of the people. They um, didn't vote for him. No. Well, they voted for this government. In Neil. the 2020 the government. election, I represent the government. they voted first Sinn Féin. The number two and three party then colluded to keep Sinn Féin out by forming a coalition government in which... The second party winner, leader, Michal Martin, would be Taoiseach. Michal Martin. Michal, for the first half of it. And then this guy, number three in the election result, would take the second half. He was not elected in mm-hmm. a democratic election. Mm-hmm. He is not the democratically elected leader. He is not the represent. Legally, he is. Yes, indeed, the Constitution allows for that. But he does not represent the people. Diversity. In exactly the same way that the result of his polling of the population on this hate speech law yeah. did not reflect it either. Yeah, so, but diversity, equity and inclusion. Yeah, whatever. It's, it's, or for it, rather, it's, diversity, It's the same phenomenon Die. as everywhere else. It's the parliament that he referred to versus the people. You know, and he, he says, well, we were all elected. No, a bunch of you were. Ironically, one of the like more extreme lefty groups in parliament, it, it was overwhelmingly passed, by the way, but there was an objection from the people and People and Planet Before Profit group, um, hardcore lefty on everything pro-COVID, totally useless in this time uh, to have as a representatives. But they did <laughs> make an objection. Uh, they tried to, they filed a motion to maybe just rein in. Can we just check that this is in line with, for example, the European Convention on Human Rights, overruled, law was passed. It's now the harshest hate speech laws in the whole of the Western realm. And... We'll see what happens next. They're going to have to start enforcing it. Like It'll clog up the courts. Probably it'll be enforced. It's not meant to actually be enforced, but it'll be a form of... A threat, yeah. A, ch- a chilling factor. Yeah. What about Tucker? Tucker, the legend, um, he had a great podcast with... Um, that's her name. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. Here's a quick snip. Have a listen. Yeah, worth listening to it's in good. full. There are members of Congress who are controlled by the intel agencies. I'm not speculating on this. You know, I, I lived there for 35 years. I know right. this. I had 
a very high-ranking, very high-ranking member of the House Intel Committee tell me at dinner at a restaurant in Washington when he'd been drinking, we got to talk about this. And I said, oh, I'll text you. He goes, I, I can't text. And I said, why is that? And he goes, well, because NSA reads my text. And I said, NSA reads it. Wait, you're the head guy on the Intelligence Committee. You're their boss. You're providing oversight in our constitutional system. He's like, yeah, but, you know, they're still spying at me. First thing. Second thing, Michael McCall, who is, you know, (laughs) the leader of, I would say, the neocons uh, in the House, kind of low-key uh, neocons, but but neocons. Um, what I got into an argument with him once last year on the phone. He told somebody that I was a Russian agent or something, and I was outraged. So I called him on the phone, and I, you know, I used bad language. I was really mad, and uh, he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I, I just got that. You know, that's what the intel briefers told me that you were working for Russia." And I said, "That's what the intel briefers told you." You believe your fucking intel brief? Like, how yeah. old are you, son? Yeah. You know, no, I'm from DC. My dad was in this world. Like, yeah. you don't, you're being manipulated by your intel briefers. Yeah. Imagine if you're an intel briefer and you can just call up any member of Congress and go, see that other guy? Russian agent. Okay, thanks. He, he goes, no on, evidence, just. I, I've watched the rest of that. He goes on to say that Michael McCall and the others are not actually swayed by those briefings. They're going along with it because ideologically they know that it's best to just conform. That's worse. Exactly. It's worse. That's why they, when they get those briefing documents, it isn't like, oh, thank you, CIA. I've just been informed about an important situation. It's like, oh, this is a cue from the CIA that if I don't take the right ideological side on mm-hmm. this issue and call X a Russian agent... They've got six ways from could, Sunday. They've got six ways from Sunday, and I could be next. So, okay, yeah. I agree. Tucker's a Russian agent. Yeah. Um, um, you see there's another shooting in Texas this morning, last night, yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. That was a legit one. Random guy oh, gets out of a car, that's... shoots the place up immediately. There was no personal vendetta... I was going to say there was no gangland connection, but there might be. I've seen photos. There's a bloody photo of the guy uh, dead. He's been shot at by a cop who was either on patrol or just happened to be nearby. Um, and he's dressed head to toe. Like he's got uh, all black, heavily armed, like he's prepared for a, a long shootout or something. That doesn't necessarily mean gang- gangland, though. No, but he's got a, his hand is visible and he's got a distinct tat on his arm. His, tat, his, his tattoo his, is, is, is a tattoo of the emblem of the city of Dallas. Yeah, and apparently one of the gangs uses that. Okay. Um, shaved head, looked Mexican, looked, looked brutal. Maybe, I may, I'm just going on a snapshot, I know, but it could have been actually... Gang, gang member, but he's not gang member doing a gang guy shooting. He's doing a random of people he doesn't know, you know. Right. Um, so he just went off basically, but it's just like they're so it's so common at this point. It's like it just appears in the news feed, you know, eight ten people killed in America. Boom, carry on. Yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty bad. Like it's been several weeks running. There's been one um, last week. Last week was a bit different, where the guy was at his place of work. And shot colleagues. At least he knows them. It's not totally, totally random, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's, yeah, there's been a bunch in recent weeks, but there was actually a lull there. <laughs> a lull of a few weeks where no, there were no shootings in America. A few months. There was a, there was a spate in January where there were randoms. 
the guy, the, the, perp, the perp doesn't know the, the victims. There's been 200 so far in America this year alone. That includes like know everything. A, a guy in Chicago shooting up a store because yeah. he didn't get the, you know, mm. the jellies he wanted or he got looked at funny. Definitely. People are going off all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just, maybe I shouldn't bother making these distinctions, but when it's like a, a guy who's, He's going out. He knows he's going out, or he's under some. He looks like he's under some kind of way, and he steps out of a car with a full automatic rifle. Mm-hmm. They're usually different than gangbangers robbing a store, right? Or a family feud, or you diss my girl, or something like that. You know. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, it's they, okay. So that's the United States. We've come to expect it, right? It's horrific, and it happens all the time. I'll, I'll give you that. What the hell happened to Serbia last week? Mm-hmm. Two mass shootings, two days apart, two different places. Mm-hmm. One of them's in the school, and the, there the perp is, it's more plausibly just shit happens because the guy is a student at the school. He's 14 years old, mm-hmm. um, kills eight other students and a teacher or two or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's happened. That happened in Germany this year as well. In other European countries, it's happened here and there. But then the next day, another shooting in another town. In this case, I can't remember the deets on this. This is an older man. Again, the similar number of dead. I don't think he knew anyone. I think that's kind of rando. There's the the perp and the victims are strangers to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, in some context, explaining reporting on this. I've heard them say, well, Serbia is a heavily armed country. That's a, um, a remnant of its wars against, against NATO, against the United mm-hmm. States, basically, from the 1990s. That is the case, objectively. There are more arms. Fi- people were encouraged to have firearms at the time, and they still do. Mm-hmm. But there hasn't been a mass shooting in, of randoms in Serbia since 2013 when some guy went postal. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that happens every day. Twice in a week is notable. I don't know of any connection. I don't know of anyone making any suggestion of a connection, but it stands out. Yeah, definitely. for sure, yeah. Um, Elon Musk is still terrified about AI taking over. Um, not sure where to think. I wouldn't rank that high on my list of concerns right now. But in any event, Elon don't worry, fear not, because Joe Biden heard your cry and he has decided that he's going to fix the problem because Kamala is America's official intelligence, art, art, official artificial intelligence czar. Cool. So, so basically she'll be answering all the questions instead of ChatGPT, <laughs> which will be like even scarier. Imagine how scary that would be if you were to ask her random questions. You fucking jump out the window, like yeah, she's going to crack she, down on artificial intelligence. Ooh, she's going to regulate it. Good now, job, Kamala. Everybody, this is a moment in time. A moment in time is like a part of time that happens fleetingly, in a timely way. In a timely way, and the time comes, and it goes, and the AI becomes our friend I will make it our friend yes that's all I have to say thanks Kamala any questions ma'am no, she's gone <laughs>
meanwhile, someone who is a bit more, in vastly more, more articulate for all his speech impediment that any, no one should be um, dissent. God bless him. He's trying to desperately articulate the last rounds of common sense in the DC American elite. Bobby Jr. last week told that nice fellow at Unheard that we need a peaceful revolution. I think that should put no one in any doubt as to he, what he sees as his realistic chances of winning a legitimately an election fair and square and things changing. He's calling for a, quote, peaceful revolution. Um, yeah. That's not going to happen either, but at least he said it. Um, uh, one last thing on Tucker, actually. Probably Tucker won't... This is what I feared at the time. He won't be appearing on any kind of big platform anytime soon because he's gagged by his Fox News contract until after the 24 election. Mm. There's a two-year... I think that might have been why they timed it now because he's now gagged until early 2025. What contract? What contract? His Fox News contract. He's not, he doesn't have a contract with them anymore. He was fired. Apparently, uh, the... It's pay or play or something. There's a clause in it that even if you're fired, uh, you can't work for anyone else. Hang on, I'll have a look here. Maybe. Maybe his lawyers will challenge it. Maybe it's not so um, such a sure thing. Uh, New York Canada. Times is reporting the... Cannot appear on TV before 2025 under his employment terms. Maybe sides are sidelined from TV news entirely until after the election, unless he can extricate himself from his previous employment contract. You would think, right, but we're no lawyers, that if your employer or one side in the breaks the contract, then it's null and void. But apparently it may not be the case. Huh. Okay. Anyway, he's shooting truth bombs on Tulsi Gabbard as a writer. Everyone should get him on their podcast. and He'll still get more views than he would for sure. have got yeah, yeah. On, on Fox News anyway. So. Well, that's the best place for him anyway, to be honest. Um, Where he can speak his mind, you know. Although he didn't exactly restrain himself on Fox News. Yeah. Outrageous piracy on the high seas in recent weeks. The Iranians have seized, first last week one, and now this week a second oil tanker. Bound for one was bound for Houston, and the other one is probably U.S. owned as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably sweet revenge for um, the U.S. seizing an oil, an Iranian oil tanker about two weeks ago. <laughs> they have some balls. Like the Iranians, like they, they don't wait around and whinge about U.S. sanctions. They just get on with developing their industry as best they can. Um, Sons dollars or anything dollar affiliated, and then um, the, the, the way they did it was they they swarmed the ship. Obviously, it's a huge tanker. They don't have much in the way of big cruisers themselves, so they just swarm it with tons of little speedboats. But as far as I know, it's been uh, impounded. It's in Iran, both ships. Um, but then the U.S. doesn't make it. This would have been, you know, uh, Casus Belli. Just 10 years ago. Remember 10 years ago? Oh, my God. Any day now, the U.S. is going to invade Iran or John McCain, bomb, bomb, bomb Iran. Mm-hmm. We, we got through that. It never happened. And since then, Iran has, you know, actual clout mm-hmm. to, to give as good as it gets. Uh, it's from oilprice.com. U.S. seizes Iranian oil, oil from tanker. They didn't even impound it. They just <laughs> took it right off the ship. 
Um, and that was pro that was clearly the event that sparked Iran to um, counter back with its own. Well, if you're going to be pirates, then so we watch this. Um, any new developments in Sudan this week? We kind of touched on it briefly mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago. Not really, no. Um, Wagner's involved there. Russia and Sudan maybe agreeing to what to have a Russian military base mm-hmm. or port access in the way that the Russians have in um, the Latakia province in Syria. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. China is probably building a military base in the UAE. At least the US is paranoid that it is. Russia, they can handle, but China is like, that's a beast that, that they're not anywhere near as confident of containing. Otherwise, it would have happened before now. Russia, they picked on first because, well, it's nowhere near as strong a powerful place. But uh, So this is the Washington Post speculating. Build-up resumed at suspected Chinese military site in UAE, leaks says. The Discord leaks. Ah, so this may have come courtesy of the that kid, the mm-hmm. 21-year-old, leaking photos of, quote-unquote, classified documents from the Pentagon networks. Yeah. Well, they can worry and freak out all they want, but this is inevitably going to happen more and more. The Chinese already have access not far from Sudan, actually, on the Red Sea coast of Africa and Djibouti. And Djibouti like a, and a bunch of other countries do those. Well, right, they like, all do, yeah. It's like, if you can, why can't we, you know? Um, okay, so there's nothing else really on international geopolitical stuff. We touched on the mass shooting um yeah, this is just something I think is I got no explanation for it, but maybe it's just maybe there's something to it, maybe not. There's raging wildfires in Alberta mm-hmm. at the moment. The snow is barely melted, right? They just come out of they often the snow is still we've got a Canadian right here. There's often still snow on the ground in the, in places like Alberta at this time of the year. But there's raging wildfires. And up to 25,000 people evacuated so far um, in some towns like south of Grand Prairie. At the same time, being blamed on the same weather front, riverbanks are bursting just over the mountains in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. Flash flooding. And there it's heavy snow melt forcing evacuation of communities in British Columbia at the same time. Now, I wonder, I wonder, arson, <clears throat> in, some, in, in some of these cases, uh, some of these wildfires in Alberta, last week, uh, the RCMP arrested this dude. Um, Edmonton Journal. So this must be, Edmonton's Alberta, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so someone, a man was arrested um facing 10 arson charges after a string of wildfires. That's dated 
April 30th he was arrested. So the recent wildfires are separate from this. Um, or maybe they're not. Maybe they're just more in the same area and they've grown or something. But, um, yeah, right there, you've got arson. So is that just the weather, just the climate going crazy, or is someone helping that along, you know? Yeah. Hard to tell. Um, outgassing. Yeah. Methane. Sinkholes opening up. Who knows? More lightning strikes. None, none reported. Um, I asked. I asked someone who's from the oil sands region this morning. Actually, mm-hmm. is that ever like people know about that? Is that a thing? You know, methane comes up because, of course, they're mining. You know, mm-hmm. um, drilling for oil big time in Alberta. Mm-hmm. But he's like, nope, hmm. never heard of that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> social media, uh, what's going on in the world today is, um, I'm, I'm a bit kind of bemused by the whole thing, you know. Sorry, did I send that to you? Oops, I shouldn't have sent that to you. And I think it's, some, it's, it's somebody that an old cell, it's, look at how out of focus I am. Um, old cell coronation overlay on the, on the coronation yesterday. Now, I was just going to say that um, social media these days is... Um, the vast majority of what I see on social media and the media today is people talking and having debates and arguing over stuff that is self-evident. You know? Um, self-evident, self-evidently right or self-evidently wrong, you know? Uh, and I can understand why a lot of people would just be, are either just engaging in social media just to kind of like, to get the popcorn out and watch it happen because it's just bizarre to see people have strong opinions on stuff that no one in the history of human civilization ever needed to have a strong opinion on because it was self-evidently right or wrong already, you know. But by all means, go ahead and, like, fight over it for, for weeks and weeks if you feel like if you feel like doing that, you know. That's the vast majority of stuff that's going on, you know, or it's, or it's just media, the, the mainstream media, um, you know, spinning something that is... To any rational mind, a rational person is is against self evidently good or bad, but the media gives you this this new as it you know this kind of nuanced perspective on it. Like, well, uh, if the media got back <clears throat> to doing what they used to do, reporting facts, yeah, this wouldn't it'd be, be like, it would be a lot clearer. Yeah, but they don't do that. That's no. the reason they don't do it because if they, they just, just give the facts, opinion. people would very quickly be able to, get, to draw a conclusion. Yeah. But when you don't report facts and you muddy them and twist them and distort them and pretend it's nuanced when it's not, uh, then people have to. People get confused and uh, and can't think th- can't think well, clearly. They take to social media, and if they were left alone there, they would form a consensus. But yeah. no, even social they, media, yeah. the powers that be send out thousands of trolls or pass laws to quote disrupt, deny the, all the four Ds yeah. that Edward Snowden leaks revealed that right. the U.S. Cyber Command is completely focused on sock puppet armies to get in there and just shake the shit out of yeah. or government. Make sure people don't come to a coherent picture. Or in the worst case scenario, governments have hate speech, lo- hate speech laws so that when people actually draw the right conclusion, that actually is act- oh, that right, that correct conclusion you, you drew based on the facts, that actually comes under our hate speech laws. You're not allowed to draw that conclusion anymore. You make, you're allowed to draw it, but you can't speak about it. <clears throat> That's what's going on. And it's just bizarre. Can't stop the signal now.